Anybody care what this guy thinks? Hey everyone, welcome to the Significant Strike Podcast. I am your host, Soft Weekly, and with me as always is our expert handicapper, Val Dwyer. Val, how are you doing tonight, buddy? How are you doing? I'm doing great. We got a good card coming up, one that I'm excited to watch. Several fights I'm really excited about, um, and none that are really like total trash. Um, And a bunch of decent ones in the middle. So... And last week we we did great. We we had our well, first sweep since the first week of the podcast. Yeah, I, I felt good because we were we had a little bit of a rough stretch, but I think we pulled it out yeah. last week. Yep, and and then even during the rough stretch, I mean, you we're, we managed our units, never got crazy, so we we stayed positive the whole time. But so yeah, last week we had um, my biggest play was Virna Jandaroba money line. Um, she she broke or dislocated or something to at least hyperextended Kanako Murata's arm in an arm bar, but Murata hit it really well. We didn't notice till the second round. The judges or the announcers didn't notice the second round. The ref didn't notice till after the second round. Um, but Jandrober was also, her striking looked improved. She was, she was tuning her up on the feet. But part of that was because in the second round, Murata's arm was hanging useless. Anyway, at the end of the second round, judges, uh, no, sorry, not judges, <laughs> the referee called the doctor in. Doctor stopped it because her arm was basically useless. So, won that one. Then, later down the card, the immortal Matt Brown tied the UFC record for most knockouts. And he's a welterweight. He tied the record held by Vitor Belfort, light heavyweight champion, and Derek Lewis. A big, big, big heavyweight. So it's pretty impressive for a welterweight to be in that company. Oh, Vintage and Derobo, we had a 1.2 units on, and um, we came out with plus 0.94. Matt Brown, we had half a unit on at plus 165 odds. He came out with plus 0.83. And then in the main event, I had Dan Ige and the Korean Zombie, round four to start, basically over four. And that hit. Zombie employed a wrestling heavy attack, and did very very well it went and the fight went the distance although there was a couple moments where zombie looked to be locking up a rear naked choke or something um but he could never quite sink it in danny gay has decent enough bjj to stay alive uh so yeah that that's 0.75 units to win 0.5 units that's a total of plus 2.27 units for last week three and oh all right good for us <laughs> and it was it was a fun card a lot of knockouts Fun fight between Cheeto Vera and Davy Grant. Um, yeah. All right. So we did well last week. What are we looking at this week? All right. So for this week, UFC Vegas 30, Cyril Gan versus Alexander Volkov. Uh, the matchup of the two, the only two technical kickboxing heavyweights in not just in them and UFC in the world, probably <laughs> in the world of MMA anyway. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to start with, just real quick, Julia Avila versus, Jul- it was spelled Julija, but I think it's just pronounced Julia, Julia Stoyarenko. It's a classic striker versus grappler one. 
Um, I have a soft spot for Julia Avila because her nickname is the Raging Panda, and she's your rare WMMA fighter who strikes with intensity and violence. Um, man, she's 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 fun to watch. Um, she I feel like she should tune up Stolyarenko on the feet. She she's an aggressive volume striker. She has good takedown defense. She's not anything special on the ground and if she does get taken down it could be trouble for her because Stoliarenko has a good ground game good arm bars but I think the odds are appropriate here Avila's minus 360 um and yeah I, I think she tunes up Stoliarenko probably to a decision but it could be a knockout um and that's reflected and our buddy Mike from Strong and Jacket UFC picks pointed out that the goes distance for this fight is only minus 145 which is unusual for a woman's MMA fight I think, so, uh, yeah. yeah, well, I think this is a good one to go the distance because, uh, well, first of all, I flagged this fight because of the panda. I know that you got a soft spot for her. <laughs> so, so I, I looked at this fight specifically, but Stolia Renko, if you check her out, dude, she's got a, her head is giant. It's, yeah. You know what I mean? So I don't see her getting knocked out. I do see her getting tuned up. That's why I think this is a, a good one you can bet to go the the distance with Avila probably winning it at the distance. It is very possible. I mean, yeah, uh, Avila by decision is available about even. So that's something to look out. I, I don't have it as an official anything because I, I Stoyarenko, if Stoyarenko wins, it probably has to be a finish, like an arm bar or some other sort of submission. Agree. And yeah, I, I, I mean... Slurmaker, I don't think she's ever been knocked out. Let's double check that. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, she was she was knocked out by elbows in 2014 in her second pro fight. So she's come a long way since then. Her losses. Recently, she fought Yana Kunitskaya, who's a massive bantamweight and is one of the better strikers in women's MMA, better than uh, the Raging Panda, and she couldn't finish her. But MMA math doesn't work. You never know what'll happen. Right. I mean, Julia Avila. Julia Avila two fights ago. She got a knockout in 22 seconds. So mm-hmm. she has the power. So I'm just passing on on that. Though right. I, I think I would definitely put a lean on goes the distance or Avila by decision. Yeah, I, I don't have much else to add except to reiterate what I said. Is uh, Stoilerenko, Um, I, I, I would lean towards Avila. But Stoilerenko has got a massive head and she's got a really thick neck. And I don't know how many women have power to really scramble them eggs, so to speak. You know what I mean? She's, she's an impressive physical specimen at that, at that weight class. Yeah, she is. Um, all right, so moving on down the line, we're going to uh, Warley Alves versus Jeremiah Wells. Just real quick, um... Uh, Jeremiah Wells is a short notice replacement for Ramazan Amiv here, so I don't know anything about him other than the fact that he's coming off the regional scene. Um, he, he's fighting for Cage Fury FC, uh, and before that, CES. So he's obviously like a different level, though. You know, some guys can come up and surprise. Just uh, two weeks ago, UFC 263, we had a knockout against a veteran from a brand new guy in Terrence McKinney making his debut on short notice. So anything can happen, but I, I was surprised. The only reason I'm noting this is because I was surprised at Warley Alves's odds. He's only minus 230, and Alves is good. I mean, he infamously has a win over Colby Covington, the only one to do so, other than, uh, obviously, Usman. Um, and 
he's 14 and four. His only losses are to higher level guys, Randy Brown, James Krause, Kamaru Usman, and Brian Barbarena. These, these are Usman is obviously <laughs> the power for pound number one right now. Barbarena is solid. He's, he was always a spoil sport. Got a bunch of wins over guys is streaking. Krause is consistent and solid. And Randy Brown, uh, I mean, he, he's a pretty violent dude. He's tough to beat. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was just surprised that it was so low for a, a veteran like Alves, who's established in the UFC against a guy who's 8-2 and two coming off the regional scene. But anything can happen, and I haven't been able to st- study Jeremiah Wells. But I de- not much anyway, not in depth. So I definitely lean Marley Alves, but uh, not enough information. I just wanted to point that out, that that was interestingly placed odds. Yeah, I don't have anything to add with that because it, it's a replacement and, you know, especially a guy off the regional scene that we haven't got to see much on. So I, I don't have really thing, anything worth saying about this fight. Yep. All right. So here we get to the first fight I am really excited for. Uh, Michelle Prozeris versus Shavkat Rachmanov. Um, Rachmanov made his UFC debut just uh, last year on, I think it was the Khabib card, the Khabib Gaethje card. Um, no, it was, it was the Miocic uh, Cormier card. Um, he's only 27. He's 13-0. He's undefeated. He, he finished uh, Cowboy Oliveira, Alex Oliveira, in the first round last time. Last time out with a, a standing guillotine choke, or I think it started standing, then went to the ground. Um, he was the M1 welterweight champion. And even though he's only had one UFC fight, he's been fighting in M1 pretty much his whole career. I think only two fights outside of M1. And interesting thing of note is that he's never fought an opponent with a losing record, which is impressive. I mean, you look at guys coming, especially coming out of that part of the world, guys like Khabib. Khabib started off against a bunch of cans. And I'm not saying Rachmanov's opponents were amazing, but they were winners in their area in their part of the world. They weren't just total cans, guys to build his streak. Those 13 wins are against actual MMA guys. No one on their debut, no one who's just a can to build uh, promising fighters' records. He is legit 13-0. and And he's finished every fight in his career so far. Six knockouts, seven submissions, uh, a really well-rounded guy. And that's what you like to see. You like to see a guy who can do it all. I mean, he has great Muay Thai, and uh, great BJJ, he also has a combat sambo. I think he's a master of sport in combat sambo. And you can see that a lot. And he likes to uh, use judo throws to get uh, the fight to the ground rather than just shooting traditional double legs. But he, he can't do the latter. But this one, so Rachmanov is great. He's a really highly touted prospect. If he wins this, his next opponent will be a ranked fighter. But I want to talk about Prezeris first, actually, or go deeper into Prezeris first, because looking at this one, you more have to fade Prezeris. So in his younger years, he had wins over Mads Brunel, Gilbert Burns, Meyerbeck Taisumov, and those were impressive. He had an eight-fight winning streak until two years ago, but now he's 39 years old. In, he's moved up to welterweight, I think, three fights ago uh, in 2018. I guess he couldn't or didn't want to cut the weight anymore. I mean, if you look at him, he's... He's only five foot six, but he's built like a like a truck. I mean, his nickname is Trator, which means tractor in Brazilian, and he looks like it. But still, I mean, 
at five foot six and with only 67 inch reach, he was a smaller lightweight. Um, and in this fight, Rachmanov is six foot one with a 77 inch reach. That's a seven inch height disadvantage for Prezeris and a 10 inch reach uh, d- disadvantage. And the thing about Prezeris is his last fight was in 2019 against Ismail Nardiev, and he lost by decision, um, pretty dominant decision, 30-26, and 30-27. And he, looked really poor. I mean, he was the guy who was known for taking people down and top-gaming them. Not much known for his striking, though he does have some power. But the reason he hasn't fought since that Nardiev fight was to a drug suspension. He got caught, anabolic steroids, um, what's the name of the steroid? Uh, Bol- Boldenone, um, right after losing that fight to Nardiev. And Nardiev was 22 at the time in his UFC debut. So he was 37 then. He lost the dominant decision to Nardiev, and he comes back at 39 against a much better opponent here in Rachmanov. Yeah, I mean, you guys can see where I'm going with this. But uh, let me dive in a little bit deeper. Right out, oh, oh and Nardiev, it was a short notice debut, and he was a plus 350 underdog. Um, Right away, right out the gate, Prezeris got hit clean on the feet, um, was was visibly wobbled, um, but he, he tried to shoot a takedown. Nardiev reversed it, who, even though Nardiev's a more natural striker, he does have wrestling, but he ended up on top doing damage in that first round, happened again in the second round, and again in the third round. Every time Prezeris tried to go to his wrestling in BJJ, he maybe got a little bit of control, but he ended up with like two and a half minutes of control time, and uh, Nardiev ended up with like three minutes of control time because he would reverse him and then stay on top while Prezeris got tired. Because, I mean, this is an older dude. He's getting up there in MMA years. He was breathing through his mouth after just one round. He was a lot slower after one and a half or two rounds. And, like, when he was on the bottom being ground and pounded in the third round, he had pretty much totally given up. He was just covering up. There was honestly an opportunity for the ref to stop it. Even though Nardiev wasn't going super hard, uh, there were times when Prezeris was not defending himself, and the fight stayed that way till the end. He was just laying down in exhaustion at the end of the fight, and now he's two years older than that and doesn't have the advantage of that steroid. So yeah. Nardiev is—he's solid. Like he's solid. I mean, you don't go, go on an eight-fight win streak at uh, lightweight, beat Gilbert Burns, Mads Burnell, Meyerbeck Tysumov without being good. But he's getting up there in age, and that last performance is more indicative, I believe, of what we are going to see in in this coming fight. Especially when you consider the disadvantages he had in that fight against against Nardiev, who has, by the way, since been cut by the UFC. He went one and two after that fight and got cut, and then went one and one outside the UFC. Uh, he's not on Shavkat Rachmanov's level. He's Shavkat's older. He's a more prolific striker, more nuanced striker. He's a submission artist. He has three inches reach and height over Nardiev. Um, and he's just more physically stronger when Nardiev was able to reverse through brute strength against Rachmanov. Uh, so after being suspended, it, it's you look at you look at Prezeris and you see his tank-like physicality, short, small but stocky stocky and seemingly powerful and you've got to question how much of that was from the steroid use and what will he look like physically or how much strength will he have retained physically without that steroid unless he's found something new and he's able to hide it from usada so we'll see about that um 
but he needs that strength. Like, with that, he's not a guy you can fall back on super technical striking or anything, um, reactive takedowns or anything. He he was always just I'm a I'm gonna slam you to the fence with double legs and drag you to the ground. I'm gonna just use all my strength, go all out. Um, and then and in striking, he was all about just power punching. Uh, he would rush in throwing wildly big hooks or windmilling overhand rights. Um, when he stays calm, I mean, he, he's not a terrible striker. He could, when he's more poised, he could land overhands cleaner and, you know, would hit people precisely. But he was low volume striker overall. He only had um, 2.44 significant strikes averaged per minute in his UFC career. He was outlanded by uh, 0.05 strikes per minute. His best strikes are probably body kicks in open stance matchups. Uh, it's less open in closed stance matchups, but he can still use them. But the worst thing about his striking is his defense. He doesn't keep his hands up enough anyways. He doesn't react quick enough to parry blows. And we see this in his 68% significant strike defense, which is that that's quite low. Um, in that last fight, like, he, he got wobbled by Nardiev. He looked really poor in the striking. And any time, basically, he wasn't trying to get a takedown. Nardiev was just tuning him up. But hit, so to his strength, I mean, like I said, he's a strong wrestler. He's a, a jiu-jitsu black belt. In those tree trunk legs, he has a lot of ability to drive and low center of gravity can, can help him a bit to get the takedown. But then once he does get the takedown, it's harder to go be all over a guy who's seven inches taller than you. You know, you try to reach around from risk for risk control. You try to put hooks in if you get on their back. It's it's going to be a lot harder when you're that much shorter. So he, he averages 4.11 takedowns per 15 minutes on 36% accuracy. So it's not that accurate, but it's a volume which which gets people to the ground and gets him to win. Uh, and he, he, despite his limitations from his height, he has strong top pressure, though. We have to remember a lot of this. These stats were against lightweights. Welterweight is a whole different ball game. Um, against welterweights, he has one split decision win over Zach Cummings. That's a decent win, but the argument could have been made either way. Um, he has a guillotine choke over Bartosz Fabinski, who's famously susceptible to guillotine chokes, like or like the most guillotine choked fighter in history, perhaps. And then the lost in RDF. So his success of. Uh, of uh, six straight wins at lightweight after losing Kevin Lee in two before that, uh, it, it doesn't carry over to welterweight, obviously. Um, but now, Rockmanov, this is why I'm excited for this fight because he is exciting. I mean, like I said, he's great at Muay Thai. He, he starts with strong leg kicks and a lot of fainting to get reads on the opponent while doing damage. He establishes his jab early because, I mean, he has that reach. 77 inches is a lot. I mean, that's a lot that that's like light heavyweight type reach, you know, there's heavyweights who have less reach than that. So it's good that he sets up well with his jab, although he still has room to grow there, you know, groomed. He establishes a jab and does damage with it. It's a really it's a nice pumping out jab, you know, like a piston, but he needs to and he builds off it in combinations well, but he needs to control distance better. But that comes with time. I mean, he's 27. And now coming to the UFC, getting better training camps, training partners. I believe he will grow, but I don't believe he needs to necessarily to win this fight. Um, because he, but he's able to uh, counter opponents quickly. He, he has really fast reflexes and hands. He's able to counter with that. It's a powerful straight right hand. Uh, he has a good check hook. 
and he's he's able to uh just get out of the way at angles uh really well. He he's his defense, striking defense is pretty good with one caveat is that sometimes he focuses on his offense too much. He gets way too into it. He thinks he gets com- overconfident and he's never been like really rocked or, or and of course not knocked out or even knocked down. But sometimes he gets so confident and so attack heavy that he can be countered. Uh, I've only seen one guy able to exploit it really. And the guy got finished shortly after in uh, one of his, in his second title defense in uh, M1. But his biggest weakness probably is the clinch. And it's not that he's not good in the clinch. It's that he just kind of seems willing to stay there and just do damage. He'll, he'll just be, uh, punching the guy's body with, you know, hammer fists, short punches, and, and short knees, while the other guy is jockeying for position, trying to get underhooks, trying to take him down. I mean, we saw that with Cowboy Oliveira, and I, I also saw it in M1, although M1 is different because they use a ring, which is the worst way to do MMA in a ring, you know, boxing ring. Right. Um. So it's, it's clinches are a lot different because you get against the uh side of the ring and it's just it's a whole different thing with ropes there instead of a cage but yeah he and that might be why he didn't care so much because it's so much different in m1 that that may be why he let Oliveira control him while just punching him a little bit but and then eventually though even if he let Oliveira control him he he guillotined him it, it was really nice he started on the feet um took him uh I mean, fell back into guard with the guillotine locked in, elevated his hips really well to leverage it painfully and forced a tap. And he's also used it outside the UFC. He has a good guillotine, which it sometimes it's a, I mean, it usually is a submission of opportunity and it's not one that you want guys to go for usually because they'll just end up on the bottom, but, and probably not going to be used here against Pizarras, but it is, one that he uses not just an opportunity, he works to set it up when he's in the clinch. Um, but he, all in all, he, he's a, just a complete striker. Or not a complete striker in terms of all the nuance of a veteran striker, but he has all the, the moves, you know? He has the leg kicks, he has the body kicks, he has really, really good whipping head kicks that come up, um, both the round kick and question mark kick. Uh, he has good one twos. He can extend off the one two, which originally he would pretty much just do be one two, and then leg kicks and high kicks. But he's developed a lot to now. He knows when to throw the left hook. He knows when to throw the uppercut to pierce the guard, uh, get get under the guard. His offense is really diversified, and his combos are are much smoother. And he's letting him go more and doing a lot of damage to guys in in M one. He he still has a long way to come, like I've said, but that's just because he has that much potential, and he's already at a level where he could probably beat, or be at least, the very least, be competitive with a lot of the guys in the bottom half of that top 15 at welterweight. He also, one, one last thing for striking, is he also has good spinning kicks, that he doesn't overuse them. I've only seen it a couple times, but he has a spinning... I've seen him use a spinning heel kick to the body that was painful for the other guy, and then... He, in his last M1 title defense, he set up a spinning back kick, which surprised the opponent, landed on the head, and wobbled him and led to the finish, uh, where he would get on top and just ground and pound him. So, speaking of ground and pound, that's what he wants. He, even though he's a black belt and he has submissions, when he's on top, what he wants to do is ground and pound your, his opponents. He wants to posture up, 
and rain down ground and pound. He has a lot of wins with that ground and pound, either after hurting his opponent on the feet, um, sweeping them, or, or judo throw, anything of that nature. Uh, he's not a traditional wrestler as much. He like doesn't shoot single or double legs much, but because his judo throws are his preferred way of getting the fight to the ground, but he can change levels on a double leg suddenly and surprise the opponent. Um, one takedown he had in his last uh, K1 fight, M1 fight, no, not K1, in his last M1 fight really impressed me because he changed levels and got deep on the hips with a double leg, and then he treated it like a snatch single and changed the angle, basically spinning the opponent around, putting it to the ground, which usually you don't see that with double legs. You see you know, them drive through, uh, but you don't usually see someone change the angle like 90 degrees and sit them down. It's more of a single leg thing. Um, his top game is strong. Like I said before, he prefers to posture up and rain down damage. The one weakness of his top game is that he is so focused on doing damage that he can get swept in the process, but he's comfortable off his back and he'll, I haven't seen him spend any length of time on his back without either getting up or setting up a submission. His preferred submission is triangle choke. His, his legs are super long. He's really, uh, Really, really good at locking up that triangle choke. Uh, he does have to watch out in this fight if Preseris is on top or if he puts Preseris or if, if he's on top of Preseris because of Preseris's BJJ pedigree. But Rachmanov has several wins by tri triangle choke. That's how he won that M1 welterweight title. He can lock it up off of his back or in transition. It, it, he has so many tools um, that he uses really, really well. So I, I don't probably probably won't get a submission here, though it's possible. Um, he could get a knockout, very well could, as a worse striker was able to rock an RDF and almost finish him last time. And he could also just win this fight by decision, because Prezeris is a fairly durable guy. I think the most likely scenario for finishing Prezeris is, like I said, a knockout, but in the later rounds when he gets tired. But I don't, so this is one of those scenarios where the line is really high. It started at like 250, now it's at minus 300. Yeah, it, it's moved a bunch, you know, yeah. for, for both guys, you know what I mean? But it, it, in the corresponding direction. Yeah, but what hasn't moved is one of my favorite things to use, and that's this point spread. Point spread, you can find it on sites like Bet Online, um, sportbetting.ag. Um, and the odds for the Shavkat Rachmanov minus 3.5 is minus 150. I think that's really good. I don't, like, he got 30-26 by a lesser opponent two years ago when he was probably in better shape and on steroids. Go. So, I mean, I think it's pretty clear where I'm going with this. Like, I think he's going to get dumb. I think Prezeris is going to get dominated. This is a spot where I want to fade Prezeris against any opponent. And Rachmanov, I believe, is special. He's you know, guy of the future like Chimaev, like Brady, like Baeza. Um, I have gotten burned on prospects before because we don't totally know where they're at. But I'm going to make an exception here and, and I'm going to play Shavkat Rachmanov uh, minus 3.5 spread because although he is good, this is less um, betting on him and more betting against Prejeris for all the reasons I've laid out. I mean, I've, I probably said in this whole thing how uh, yeah, he's 39 and he doesn't have his steroids anymore, like five times each. 
So that that's my bet. Uh, Shavkat Rachmanov minus three point five at minus one fifty for one unit to win two thirds of a unit. There's other ways to take it if you don't have that. I mean, but it's tougher because um, by knockout is plus two thirty five. By points is plus one eighty five. Uh, I guess if I had to, I would lean by knockout for the value, but it, it might miss. Um, there, there probably still is value there, so that's my lean if you don't have point spreads, but I would highly recommend everyone get a book where you do have point spreads. They've been, I mean, if you listen to the podcast for a while, you've heard them be profitable for us on Usman and Valentina, for example, at UFC 261. I like- so yeah. Well, I just want to add, um, really, it's just piggybacking on what you said because you covered all the points. Rosera's a he, he's a much shorter guy, and uh, he's, he's older, 39. Like you said, you, you pounded that point in, and he's coming off a two-year layoff without steroids. I don't see any way he comes back any more than kind of uh, maybe a half shell of himself or a shell of himself. You know, I don't, I don't see him overcoming the reach. I look for... Rachmanov to uh, be landing head kicks on such a shorter fighter when he's got such a reach advantage. If if it wasn't, you know, betting $3 to make money, I'd put money straight out on Rachmanov. I, I, like you said, he's a prospect and, you know, uh, kind of new in our eye in a little way, but I, I think that's the intelligent lean, and I do like your point spread bet on that one. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, there's not much for me to say. You no. covered it all pretty well on that one. All right, where do you want to go? I to do. All where right. Where do you want to go next? Um, so well, what's next up? Let me pull the order up. Okay, so next is Danilo Marquez versus Kennedy. Okay, let me pronounce this. Kennedy and Zechuku. Um, you guys might remember him from UFC 259 where he knocked out uh Carlos Olberg, a teammate of Israel Adesanya, after I mean Olberg was beating the shit out of him for like a round and a half, but Zechuku just took every single punch and was just covering up, covering up. And then Olberg started to tire, and then Zechuku, bam, one shot. Olberg was down and out. It was, he's, I refer to Zechuku as the light heavyweight in Ganu. I mean, there are some differences. He has less ferocity and a lot less experience, but he has crazy chin, crazy strength. Um, he really seems like a gentle giant. Like you hear him talk, he's really soft spoken, kind of like Nganu, but Nganu turns on the intensity in the cage. And Zechuku, he has to really be pushed by his coaches to perform and fight with intensity, but he still he has a lot of power. That that's the main thing. He has a lot of power, but he's very new to the sport. And Danilo Marquez is a strong grappler, although he's a sloppy striker. I mean, he has a good jab, but not much else. It's all just a method to facilitate getting to the ground he, he his takedowns aren't the best but if he does get you down he has good uh top control and a great submission game but he just his problem is he often shoots with no setup this one is pretty clear cut because Nzechiku is, is the opposite a great a good striker powerful striker at least but a terrible grappler i mean his uh last loss was to paul craig where paul craig just kept pulling guard and and Zechiku eventually fell into a submission in the third round. Yeah, triangle choke. Yeah, I mean, and he doesn't have the greatest fight IQ, but because of him going into Paul Craig's guard, but despite tuning him up on the feet and that being what Paul Craig clearly wanted, but he's new to the sport. That's all you can expect. Um, 
This line opened at, with Nzechiku at plus 100. Now it's Marquez at plus 110 and Nzechiku minus 130. So that is interesting. Uh, I mean, before I leaned with Zechiku, now I lean Marquez, but it's it, it's a pretty 50-50 one. Um, maybe a slight lean to Nzechiku, but at the odds, I lean Marquez because if he can get it down, he wins. If Nzechiku keep it standing, he wins. And it's pretty much that clear cut in my eyes. Um, just wanted to talk about that real quick. Don't have a play. Line movement was interesting, and it's a classic striker versus grappler matchup. Yeah, the the money lines on this fight are very weird. I think yeah. that yeah, there's value if you if you go to the right places and some of these keep moving. You know, like five dimes had Marquez at minus one thirty five at open. Now they got him at plus one oh five. If it moves up much more, it, yeah, there there might be some value there. For sure. I mean, and if you bet Nzechiku at open at plus 100 you could bet marcus at plus 110 now plus 115 now and and make guaranteed money but that that's a very specific set of circumstances right right just oh. i i would just tell our listeners to keep your eye on that one and if marcus goes up much more it's worth something yeah and i also think there might be value on the submission lines for marcus all right so uh Kennedy and Jetsu by knockout is plus 190 i think it was like plus 230 earlier that would have been some decent value Marcus by submission plus two forty, and Marcus by decision plus three fifty. Uh, those are his paths to victory. I mean, he could uh, play and pray, wrestle fuck to a decision, or he could submit Nzechuku, who doesn't have a well, really any sort of ground game. Although he's learning all the time. I mean, he's at what is he at? I think he's with Safe Sayud. Um, so he, he he's he's definitely learning, but he's only been doing MMA like three years. Anyway, uh, on to the next. What do we have All next? Right, who do we got next? Ah, uh, Hanato Moikano versus Jai Herbert. This is um, a simpler one. I mean, I'm excited for it. I, I, I do like Moikano a lot. He's, he's fun. Um, and he's had such a rough streak because he's fought some amazing fighters. So he, he started his career 10 and 1. He beat uh, Jeremy Stevens and Zubaira Tukugov. That was great. And then he lost his first fight in 2017 to Brian Ortega. Then he beat Calvin Cater and Cubs Swanson in 2018. Great wins. And then his last four fights were Josie Aldo, Chen Sung Jung, uh, two losses in the second and first round, both knockouts. Uh, Demir Hadzovic, who he beat, who's also on this card, coincidentally, 44 seconds in a rear naked choke. And then last year at UFC 256, he ran into Rafael Fazeev, who... If if you know me, you know I love Fazeev, and I think he should be ranked. I think he's a future title contender. I think he has he's like one of the top five best Nakamoys in the UFC. Well, Nakamoy Farang, because he's not actually Thai. But well, I guess I should elaborate for people who don't know. Nakamoy is a Thai fighter, a, you know, Thai boxer. Nakamoy Farang is a foreign Thai boxer. Fazeev has amazing Muay Thai, is what I'm saying. Um, and and. and Hinata was hanging in there with him for a little bit, but Fazeev is just too slick and knocked him out. But he's he's fought some like the best of the best. Jose Aldo, Brian Ortega, uh, Chan Sung Jung, Calvin Cater. The, these are really high level fighters at uh, at featherweight. He's his move up to lightweight after the Chan Sung Jung loss. Mm-hmm. I mean, it started off with a win for him and then a loss, but now he's going down a. a a significant level 
down to a guy who's only on his second UFC fight, uh, Jai Herbert. He's infamous for being the stop the fight guy when Dan Hardy yelled stop the fight because Francisco Trinaldo was pounding or Francisco yeah. Trinaldo knocked him out out cold basically he he was out he even said later I was out I didn't know what was going on and Herb Dean wouldn't stop it Trinaldo had to punch him like three or four times before oops my laptop before Herb Dean did stop it um so it's, it's that was uh last July it's good to see he's taking time off um to recover from that and but he has a tough matchup here in Moicano. I mean, striking wise, they're probably similar. Moicano has good Muay Thai. Jai Herbert, I mean, he was beating Chinaldo on the feet until he got knocked out. Um, but Moicano, if he takes this to the ground as he should, he he should win. Um, but Moicano's had a rough streak. Who knows how it's affected him? He's at a higher weight class. Herbert is going to be bigger than him. I mean, Moicano is long ish uh, well he's long for featherweight but i'm looking at the the size now jai herbert's 6177 and he's a pretty thick uh fighter uh relative to moicano who's built like a, a twig 511 72 inches so i think moicano wins i think there might be value on moicano by submission because he has really good jujitsu but i'm not playing anything uh, the money line odds are like minus 230 minus 235 Right, They're, but they've been moving up from like a minus two sixty, two sixty five, depending where yeah. you look. So yeah, that, that yeah, I mean, hey, if it keeps moving, who knows? Right, right. That's like I said, that's not something uh, you want to play, or I would right now, but that's something I will keep an eye on. Yeah. All right. So on to a fight. We're gonna break down a little bit differently. Um, but I'll start. So we have Nicholas Dalby versus Tim Means. Uh, Dalby has a karate background. He's 36, but he doesn't have nearly as many fights on his, uh, he doesn't have his fighting age is different. You have your age and your fighting age, fighting age is on like much damage and wear and tear you've taken over the years. Um, Nicholas Dalby's 19, three and one, Tim means is 31, 12 and one. So Tim means, although only a year older, he's obviously been around the block a lot longer, more experience, but also more damage. Um, but Dalby still seems to be i mean he doesn't seem to be far out of his prime maybe even coming into his prime because he 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 blossomed late he had a ufc run uh back in 2016 uh 2015 actually he was signed and uh, he beat elizio Ali, zaleski dos santos which is an impressive win although it was split and then he had a draw with darren till and darren till was at that time undefeated well and so was nicholas uh, Dalby, the first non-win on both of their resumes. But that, that's an impressive one, but then he went on a two-fight losing streak to Cummings and Sabata and got cut. Um, but in before... Okay, the UFC re-signed him in 2019 after going, getting three wins and then one no contest. Which, that one no contest is interesting. The fight was so bloody that in, it was a cage warriors fight it was so bloody that they had to rule it a no contest because there was so much blood on the mat in the cage that they literally couldn't stand up that like the the mat was so slippery they were just slipping all over the place and the fight couldn't continue because of that i've never seen that before or since or just i've never heard of it ever other than uh, yeah, this one yeah. instance <laughs> that that's that, insane that's the freak it was a freak occurrence it was a good fight it was a good fight a bloody fight obviously 
Um, but anyways, yeah, I mean, so before that no contest, he was on a three fight knockout streak. Uh, and then the UFC was like, okay, we'll take him back. And he just like Rachmanov, he made his debut, well, his second debut in his this case against Cowboy Oliveira. Um, and he won a unanimous decision. It, it, it was pretty sound. I scored. I mean, it was competitive, but clear for Dalby. Uh, he he did good good groundwork, which was good to see because he's. Uh, I mean, he's a karate guy. He's more known for his striking, but he has worked at SBG. You know, Coach Kavanaugh. Um, to, to improve his wrestling, and, and it definitely has improved. And then, then after that, he he fought Jesse Ronson, and Je- it's weird. Jesse Ronson isn't at the level of Alex Oliveira or Daniel Rodriguez, his latest opponent. But Jesse Ronson knocked him down and choked him out. I, some people theorize that he didn't take Ronson seriously. I don't know. But then he came back and beat Daniel Rodriguez, which that's a really impressive win. Daniel Rodriguez is on the verge of being ranked. He he beat Tim Means. Um, most recently, he beat Mike Perry. He beat uh, knocked out Dwight Grant. He beat Gabe Green. He he's and he's fighting a Nurmagomedov, Abu Bakr Nurmagomedov coming up soon. Um, that's an impressive win. Although the decision could be argued, uh, then D Rod outstruck Dalby, but Dalby got the unanimous decision. Um, and, and he did have a good showing of himself, even if some people would argue the the decision. So Dalby has he has really good footwork. Um, he has a long rhythm. He moves in and out just super well, establishing that and and help manage his distance with that. In his resurgence after being cut from the UFC, the, originally he's become much better at stringing together combos um, and being a bit more aggressive. Although his aggression aggression is infrequent, it, it comes in bursts. But when he decides to go forward, he does it well and and with you know with bad intentions with with sudden explosion he'll pressure with the double jab which i like to see and from there it can go to a lot of places um one of my favorite combos i've seen him do is the double jab to straight right to right high kick although it can also be a left high kick um and his head kicks are probably his best strike uh, maybe his double jab but his head kicks are something to to behold especially because he puts them on the end of combos and, and they can really catch guys unawares and do a lot of damage he he also does use leg kicks. He chips away at the legs, not massive leg kicks like Jose Aldo-esque leg kicks, but just continually touching them inside and outside. He he's uh, responsible defensively, quick to pull his hand back to his head after throwing. He's excellent with parries and head movement. Um, Tim Means is more of a brawler, so what Dalby has to do here, Tim Means throws more volume. Dalby has to bait Tim Means into brawling in the pocket and then, you know, outpoint him from distance. Counter strike when Tim Means steps into that pocket. Dalby comes in, goes out, hit him. That's what Dalby should do to win this. And we'll see if he does it. Um, in terms of wrestling, he's improved it a lot. Like I said, with training part time at SBG, but it's still a more minor facet of his game and he prefers to strike. The takedowns are now available for him. He hit a really nice one on Cowboy Oliveira from the clinch. When he does get the takedown, he has solid top pressure, I mean, for a striker, um, and just likes to hold the opponent down while earning points with short ground and pound, not posture up to do big damage, not try to set up submissions, sometimes pass guard, but he, he knows he's not an amazing wrestler, so he just does what he can to earn points with that short elbows, short punches, and ground and pound. Um, 
he if he's on his back, he is also able to threaten a bit with his with an active guard, though he's not a BJJ master by any means. Um, he's better at setting up sweeps. His best attribute defensively in wrestling is not accepting position when being taken down. That's what you always want to see with guys who are strikers who want to keep the fight standing. Their takedown defense is is important, but if they do get taken down, they have to be able to fight fight like hell, fight like a tiger in a cage to get out and and not to that position and get up. And he he does that quite well. Um, when he when he does end up with his shoulder blades on the mat square. His stand-up ability is questionable, questionable though, as is his grappling cardio over 15 minutes. Because uh, grappling cardio is different than striking cardio. I don't question his cardio in a striking match for 15 minutes, but in, in wrestling for 15 minutes, I don't know how it would go. I mean, it, uh, we saw it a bit against Cowboy Lavera. It wasn't a full 15 minutes of wrestling, but there was a lot of it. And he did seem to be tired in that third round, but Oliveira has an infamously bad gas tank, so it's not like he could take advantage of it or anything. Um, and now I'm going to turn it over to you, Soft, because this is one of your um, well, favorite it, fighters, and I wanted you to do the analysis for this. Yeah, he he is one of my favorite fighters, um, not because he, uh, you know, he's won so many belts or whatever, but you know, I kind of I enjoy the journeyman like this, the guys that are always game. He's he's coming close to 50 pro fights. You know what is? It? I think he's got forty-five. Forty-three. Forty-three. I think. Okay, yeah. But uh, no, forty-four. My bad. Yeah, he he he's got a great story. First of all, like when he was like fifteen, he was shot, and then he started getting into drugs and shit, and then he uh, beat the hell out of a dude and went to prison for three years, and then he he started his pro fight career before that, and then he came out, and he's the Tim Means we know now, and he's the He's just a very cool, um, uh, mild-mannered, uh, um, analytical, thoughtful guy. I, I really like the dude. Now, to describe his fighting, uh, or this fight in general, too, these two couldn't be more evenly matched, really. Tim Means... I, I agree. Yeah. They're uh, 36 and 37. They're equal in age, basically. Um, they're both experienced, although Means has more. Um, Tim Means also lost his UFC contract at one point, and he went out and he fought in Legacy, and he quickly scored two knockouts, and he was back in the UFC. So those, they also have that in common. The thing that Tim Means has developed over the last little bit is his wrestling. Mm-hmm. M- most people don't realize that, but um, that was his first combat sport. He started wrestling when he was like in sixth grade or something. That was his first entrance into combat sports. But he's such a dynamic striker that we never really saw it. And over the last, I would say, six or seven fights, maybe eight fights, in the cow- when he fought Cowboy Oliveira, he was showing it. That's when he started to show it more. That first fight, it was interesting. It was, it was a no contest because of, of an illegal knee. And I liked, what, I liked what he had to say about it. They said, uh, was it accidental? And he goes, no, I thought it was legal. It wasn't an accident. I was trying to knee him in the head, you know, <laughs> which most guys won't do that. They'll go, oh, yeah, it was an accident. He'll go, no, I thought it was legal. It was not an accident. But um, he, has, he has great leg kicks, not super powerful, but that's another thing that Darby has as well is good leg kicks. The interesting thing is these guys are both southpaws, you know, which, which, mm-hmm. is, a ni- which is a nice matchup. Um, 
I think Tim Means is going to go for the leg kicks hard and try and get Darby to change stance so he can open up and get his moves in. He also has a decent jab, and he'll sometimes triple it up. I like the fact that he can uh, he can lead with his left hook, too. He's got a long range, you know what I mean? And he can lead with a power yeah. left hook. And, and that's very exciting. And he's also got, if he comes inside, he's got a sneaky right uppercut that he can throw. He has, uh, he has the size. You know, he's going to have the range. Like you said, uh, Darby wants to get him to come in and then counter. And I think Tim Means will try and stay at distance because that's, that's where he does his work. You know, he's, he's a big, long guy. And he likes to stay outside and strike from range. Um, he's, he's only been knocked out twice. Well, he's had two KOs. One was a real knockout, and the other one was like his third fight, and it was due to injury. It was a TKO. So I, he, he's not going to get knocked out. You're going to have to submit him no. or decision him, you know? Yeah, and Dolby isn't a knockout guy either. I, I mean, he has some, but not really in the UFC level. Right, so... I mean, I obviously picked means in this. Well, they don't know that yet, but we'll get to it. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> yeah. But uh, his win over Mike Perry, a good win, but not that impressive because Perry didn't take it too seriously. It's like he was on his yeah. way out the door and just wanted to pay day. He was talking uh, retirement at the time and had a horrible week cut, and that's why he was talking retirement. Right. Uh, he lost to Nico Price. That was the one KO, the actual KO that's, that's ever happened to him. Um, they both fought Cowboy Oliveras. The first one was a no contest, and then the second one he lost by submission, which, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad loss. Cowboy Oliveras got a good ground game, you know what yeah. I mean? But Dalby won his fight against him. Um, he lost to Matt Brown, another guy I love. But he, he has a very tenured record, and I don't think when guys get older, you see how they lose a step. I think he's only lost half a step. He's still, okay. he, he's, he's still fast. He's still quick. He famously says he didn't hit puberty till he was 25. So, you know, if you go by that, he's not that old, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's a very, this is a great fight. It's very evenly matched. Like I said, Dolby's 36, Means is 37. They, yeah. both, uh, they both lost UFC contracts and fought their way back. Um. They're both left-handers. You know, it's, yeah, I got you. Yeah, I didn't yeah. notice a lot of those parallels, but that that does. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, this is a great fight. I think I think Tim Means he he's not as slow as you would expect a guy at thirty-seven to be. Oh no, but but he has lost a half step. He hasn't lost that full step yet. But I think his improved wrestling game is really going to help him in this fight. Because he yeah. he never used be it before and, and he's improved. Matter of fact, he is now he's now the wrestling coach at his high school that he grew up at. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so this this is gonna be a good fight. I think uh if you watch the sport, you know Tim Means, but um look for him to throw that long jab. I think Dolby's jab is a little quicker, especially his double jab. But Means will sometimes even throw a triple. He's got a he's got a wicked lead left hook. You think he's coming in for the jab, and the left hook comes. Um, I look for him to throw lots of leg kicks and try and get Dolby to change stance to really open it up. It's going to be a good fight. I agree. Um, just want to add, the main difference I see between them is Timmins has that has more of a brawler 
ability. You know, he's more intense with the striking and he'll throw more volume. Yes, he's and he's I, he's big pressure. You're right. Yeah. I mean, he, he's he has solid great boxing. It's boxing versus karate kind of um, is how I see it. And um, yeah, yeah so, and, so, and Tim means is uh, just to piggyback on that. Yeah, he always comes forward. He's he's a pressure fighter. He is a brawler. He's yes. a, he's a skilled striker in the boxing style, but he always comes forward. He doesn't back up. Yep, and that's why I think Dalby has to catch him in that no man's land to win. He can't let Timmins just blanket him and leave him no man no room to to use his karate. He has to yeah, he has to create that space yeah. and punish Timmins when Timmins closes the space. So it'll be interesting to see who can do what. The odds, so the odds opened with Timmins at like a minus one fifty, minus one forty. Um, let, let, let's see, because because now they're a lot closer. So if we're looking at bet online. Wow, Timmins opened around uh, a minus two hundred actually, but that was a while ago. On five dimes, I got Means at minus one thirty five and Dalby at plus one fifteen. Yeah, that's so that seems to be the consensus. FanDuel, you can get Dalby at plus one twenty four. Uh, even, but so like, yeah, like half a week ago, even it was like minus 145, minus 150 for Tim Means, and Dalby was coming back at like, well, at one point he was plus 170, but he was coming back like plus 130, and at that point I was leaning Dalby because I do see this as a coin flip fight. Um, so I was leaning Dalby just for pure value, but the odds have gotten closer, and uh, I, I still do lean Dalby just because he's an underdog, but I, I don't have an official play on this yeah, one. Th- I, I think it probably. Goes the distance because Dalby isn't a finisher um, as much, but Tim Means could finish him potentially. Tim this Means is, is more of a finisher. This is such a close fight, so evenly matched that um, if you got good money on Dalby, I I wouldn't discourage someone betting on that. You know, I yeah. see FanDuel's got him at plus one one twenty four. If that yeah. moves, if that moves very much more, I would say it's smart to put a little bit on that. But yeah. um. I, I, I like Tim Means in this fight, and maybe I'm a little bit prejudiced because going maybe. into this, you know he's he's one of my favorites. He's yeah, you know he he's a gamer. I love people like that. He's had a storied career, in my opinion. He'll be one of those greats again that never wins the belt, but I consider a legend. Yeah, and he's just been around forever. He's been what is he? He's been. I mean, uh, this is like his, his start in the UFC was in 2012. It's almost yeah, been this a decade. Is, this is going to be like his 24th UFC fight, and there's not too Ooh. many people to get yeah. to that. One thing I wanted to point out is who he's lost to. So Tim Means has only lost to one fighter who doesn't have like huge recognition and top 15 level skills at some point. His first loss was to Masvidal, in the UFC anyway, was to Masvidal. Then Danny Castillo, that's the one loss that's not great, but that was his third UFC fight, fourth UFC fight. Neil Magny, uh, later on. Matt Brown, later on. Alex Oliveira, Bilal Muhammad, Sergio Marias. That's not as, I mean, I say good of a loss. No loss is good, but Marias is a bit lower level than these other guys, like Bilal and Matt Brown, but... He he's still solid. Nico Price, Nico Price is crazy, and he can pull anything out at any time. And yeah, D Rod, D Rod, right? D Rod is on the verge. Of, I think he'll if he beats Abu Bakr, he'll get that top fifteen fight. Yeah, his losses for the most part are to real names. They're not they're yes. not to Joe Schmoes or Cans or anyone. His losses are yes. to real guys. We've seen him tested against everyone from Mike Perry, Tiago. I mean, winning against Mike Perry, Tiago Alves, 
Diego Lima, Sabah Hamasi. He's fought, I mean, the who's who of not the top of the welterweight division, but that solid, you know, t- yeah, rank 10 to rank 30, 35 in the welterweight division right. over the decade. Yeah. Um, so to me, uh, the leg kicks. They both like leg kicks, but I think Timmins could have more success with him just because of his height. He's 6'2". Uh, I mean, he's a tall welterweight, whereas Dalby is 5'11". The reach difference is only half an inch, 75 inches versus 74 and a half. But Timmins will be taller and have a longer leg reach. So yeah, that's something yeah. to watch I out think, for. I think his, uh, Tim Means, his, his uh, arm reach doesn't seem to match his 6'2 frame, but his legs do. You know, yeah. and I, I really think what he's going to try and do is uh, he's going to try and punish that inside lead leg and get Dolby to switch stance and make him uncomfortable. That's that's what I look for a lot is he's going to be throwing that leg kick a lot early. All right. All right. So on to the next Andre touchy feely versus Daniel Pineda. I love, Pineda I love this has, fight. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun one Two two strikers who should go at it. I mean, uh, they both do have ground games, but they both like to strike. I mean, Andre Feely, he, he fights at a, a team alpha male. So he has wrestling obviously. Um, and then Pineda, I mean, he has all kinds of things over his record. I mean, he can ground and pound you, choke you out, guillotines, triangles, elbows with crucifix, Kimura, Kimura, rear naked choke, uh, triangle arm bar. His, he, he has an interesting resume. Um, and he's fought a he so he had a UFC run in 2012, but after lo- losing four of five, he got cut. Um, four or five against decent competition like Mike Brown and Diego Brandau. But he and he was kind of he's kind of he's kind of a journeyman, not quite at the level of Tim Means, but anyway, he fought his way back into the UFC after going on a six fight winning streak, although two were made no contests. Um, uh, he he was tested. He tested positive for elevated testosterone after winning two PFL fights. So yeah, but, but both o- was, both overturned by NSAC. Uh, yeah, he was uh, called up back to the UFC last year. Um, beat Herbert Burns. So I think Pineda's got a little bit overrated from that because Herbert Burns is like, oh, Gilbert Burns just is fighting for the title. His brother must be good. Herbert Burns is not that good <laughs> he's i mean he's not bad but he's not that good but he got a lot of hype off of that and thus he was incorrectly the favorite against cub swanson i i yeah put we, a fair amount of money on cub swanson yeah in that we, fight. we both called that didn't we <laughs> yeah I, yeah i remember that was that was the figurado moreno card the first time um but yeah he was like a minus 150 favorite i i, I put a fair amount on cub swanson cub swanson knocked him out brought him back down to earth so the, to where the market thinks he should be, um, I think the odds are about correct. Feely minus two twenty five. He's been around for a while. I mean, he's a staple of the featherweight division. But well, famously fought Max Holloway, and Max Holloway said at, at UFC two forty five, and this is after he's fought guys like Jose Aldo and Dustin Poirier. Um, he said Holloway said my toughest opponent to date was probably I would say Andre Feely. He's probably the hardest puncher I faced too. That that's that's a tall, long, lanky featherweight compared to guys like Volkanovski, Poirier, Jose Aldo. That that's high praise coming from Max Holloway, and I don't yeah. think Holloway is the type to give out just empty praise. 
No, Holloway doesn't talk a lot of BS. He's yeah. he's kind of a thoughtful guy, you know. Yeah, and I mean, he has wins over Shimon Rice, Charles Air Jordan, Hakran uh, Diaz. He beat he beat Bermudez. Yeah, yeah. His uh, and Gabriel Mowgli Benitez, but his losses always seem to come at a higher level. His lo- some of his losses that I'm gonna say here: Max Holloway, Yair Rodriguez, Calvin Cater. Michael Johnson, Sadiq Youssef, Youssef, and lately yeah. Bryce Mitchell, who was just able to wrestle him because he's a very good wrestler. Um, but in that, his record is inconsistent, though. It's like one win, one loss, one win, one loss, two wins, one loss, two wins, one loss, one win, one loss, oh, over and over again. And he has that inconsistency. Yeah, and it's, and like, it's and hard it, to know. Well, I was what, just going to say, and his last four losses were all decision. He hasn't been put yeah, away in a, in a minute, no. you know. Yeah, like like Max Holloway said, he's a tough guy. Um, but so the, uh, one interesting tidbit, uh, Dan Hardy said on his latest uh, uh, full reptile video, is that his mentality seems to not always be there. He's inconsistent, even though he's clearly talented. But he seems like an emotional kid and tries to bottle it up during the fight and lets it out after the fight, and it just doesn't work for him. He should fight with his emotions instead of bottling it up. And um. Dan Hardy said, and I agree, I mean, if we accept that as true, that uh, partially might be the culture at Team Alpha Male. It's a very, you know, how Team Alpha Male is. I mean, they're called Team Alpha Male. That says it all. I I don't know how much effect that actually has or what truth that has, but it's just something I found interesting, something I wanted to say. Like I said, he's a good wrestler. He's a good kickboxer. He he has a variety of strikes. He's just really smooth, strings the combos together really well. Um, and for a long lanky guy, he has deceptive power. Yeah. Whereas- alpha, alpha male. Um, I just got to add this in because I, I was a huge fan of Uriah Faber when he was WEC champ, you know, yeah. um, before, before the lighter weights got into the UFC. Um, I think he's a great guy, but I think alpha male really is like a, like bros before hoes type of gym. You know what I mean? Those yeah. guys really have a thing about just being homies and hanging out and stuff. You know, I think sometimes that may lead to what you're saying, you know, about uh, the emotion doesn't go in the ring. It comes out at afterwards, you know? Yeah. I, 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 I like those guys. Like I said, I'm a huge Faber fan. Uh, I'll always love that dude, but I can see that is because that's, yeah. that's more like a, uh, like a boys club, just a hangout place. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just a, a bunch of dudes, like, uh, you know, doing a MMA together rather than uh, some of the other gyms. It, I don't want to say alpha male's not serious, but I can, I can see a difference from those fighters out there. I mean, all you have to do is watch the compilation of uh, Cody Garbrandt saying, hanging with the boys over and over again. But... Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good gym and respect the gym, but I think it's not right for everyone. I don't think it's right for Andre necessarily, and I don't think it's right for Cody Garbrandt, who has such emotion that he goes crazy with it. He he needs someone to keep him under wraps, but also to develop his striking, which they're not a striking gym, not first and yet not first anyway. But no, I think the odds are when Cody and Dwayne left too, that really hurt their striking. TJ, yeah, yeah, yeah. TJ, TJ, yeah, um, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, so I think the odds are about appropriate here. I, I lean Andre Feely. He's more tested. He's I think he's just a better fighter. But Pineda is a big featherweight. He's a thick featherweight. His leg kicks could could really do damage to the inside of Feely's legs. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I'm rooting for Andre Feely. I've always liked him. 
I am too. (laughs) All right. So on to my favorite fight of the card with one of my favorite fighters in the UFC, probably my favorite unranked fighter in the UFC, although he should be ranked by now, but oh well, he's not. Tyrone Barcelos versus Timur Valiev. Oh yeah, this Um, is your guy. This is my guy. Oh shoot, I have all my notes on my phone for this. <laughs> One sec. <laughs> okay, so Hyrone Barcelos. He he was started mixed martial or not mixed martial arts. He started martial arts at age three. His father is a coral belt, which is like seventh degree black belt. After thirty years of being a black belt, you can become a coral belt. It's, that's like as high as you go, pretty much. Um, and so he's been on the mat since he was a kid. He learned low kicks under the legendary Pedro Hizo, and he uses them surgically to do consistent damage at the perfect time. I, okay, I, I, before I go further, I should mention, so I've learned a lot of Hyoni on my own, but one of the people who helped me learn more in-depth his striking is Downward Elbow. Um, I'm gonna, we're going to put a link in the notes to this video because it's a video everyone should watch. I wouldn't have talked about it if because it, it was on his Patreon. Um, but just this last week, he opened it up and put it on his YouTube. Everyone should check that out if you're interested in being deeper into Hyone Barcelos. It's like half an hour. I'll explain what I can, what, what I see, but it's much better to watch, to watch the video, I believe. Um, uh, Domino Double is a guy I've learned a lot from, I'll just say that. But yeah, so he, he low kicks off of opponents' jabs, catching their leg in a position that's almost un- entirely unable to check and when all their weight's on it. Um, similarly, he counters his opponent's low kicks with his right hand to punish them for the audacity of trying to low kick him. He hides his low kicks behind his right hooks and teep kicks, which all use the same setup. He uses that front kick to the, to the belly, to the chest, to dissuade level changing and manage distance while of course also doing damage. Barcelos uses his jab in a variety of ways, which I love. Other than just doing damage and starting simple combos, he frames to change angles, dart out to the side or to measure distance. To leave it out there to blind the opponent while throwing the right hand, especially a right cross over the top. Um, he's one of the few fighters who can effectively jab in open stance matchups by lining up at the perfect angle to where the jab comes uh, straight out past the, the lead shoulder. That's usually the problem with jabbing in open stance matchups because your jab is lined up with their lead shoulder, but he gets at an angle where it doesn't have to be. Um, he punishes his opponents for their jabs with a cross counter. He has a minute understanding of angles that he uses both offensively and defensively. He's very measured in his offensive uh, pressure approach while still being able to put that pressure on opponents. He keeps a cool head under pressure and while putting pressure on. Like if he has an opponent hurt, he, he goes for the finish, but he doesn't lose his cool. He doesn't go crazy. The best comparison, I think, in that sense is Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier... He gets guys hurt and he finishes them, but he finishes them calmly. Punch, punch, one, two, three, three. Right. And then he'll pause. Like you watch, watch the finishing sequence on Connor. He didn't go crazy spamming punches. He was calm and methodical and got him out of there surgically. Yeah. Too many guys just uh, run in and throw everything wild when they yeah. see they got someone hurt. And that's, that's not good technique. Yeah. That, that's actually my biggest criticism of Usman is that he doesn't know what to do necessarily with a hurt opponent. He just gets a bit too excited when he should stick to his powerful ones and twos that are so good. Um, but anyway, uh, off that tangent, uh, striking for Hyoni is like a chess match. He sets up opponents by manipulating their positioning, all the while being several steps ahead. 
his left hook and straight right, and the variety of ways in which they can be deployed alone, together, and to set up each other are like a bishop and a rook, working together to trap the king as he tries to escape. Hayoni uses step-in knees to counter to the body. He's even able to use a flying knee to counter to the opponent trying to close the space Hayoni has created between them. The ability to create and hold that space is central to Hayoni's striking. This is one worry of mine for him in this bout, because even though he's amazing with creating and holding space and using the space against his opponent, Timur Valiev does not care about the things his opponents do. He doesn't care about the setups, and he's hard to read, I believe, because he throws such a variety of things seemingly randomly at times. He throws just things from all different angles. He'll throw a leg kick, then a high kick, uh, and just bounce in and out, going crazy with volume. Um, this will work out, I believe, with one man or the other being put off of his game. Either Timur Valiev will break down that distance between them, or Hyoni will be able to constantly interrupt Timur's erratic volume offense, catching him hard with counters and keeping him from throwing as much. Hyoni uses the hand fight, parries, pull counters, collar ties, his own head position, pivots, angles, retreats, and of course all sorts of punches and kicks, knees and elbows, all together in combination to get the opponent where he wants them and then he punishes them for being there. His defense is excellent. It's a mix of maintaining the positioning and distance he has already created, as well as a Muay Thai high guard, which he does not keep static like many people, like uh, Piotr Jan's an example of that, keeping the high guard static. He, he moves the high guard to deflect punches when they're going different ways. I mean, he's so he has such good reflexes that he's able to parry punches crossways. Uh, it's hard to explain exactly what that means, but most parries are a guy punches you and you slip it off to the side he's able to punch to parry punches downwards or upwards it's like catching a bullet in midair a slower bullet but it really looks like he's in the matrix it's it's insane um but his offense and he has incredible head movement his offense plays into his defense as well as certain threats of his like the low kick and his counters when available serve to keep the opponent off of him also uses the same tactic uh izzy uses that i've talked about baiting with his head but being able to pull it right back into his stance to catch his opponent out of position when they target the head yeah that's me signing up Ioni's striking in a nutshell but is he there's more to him than that he's a national champion wrestler in brazil um He's won international jiu-jitsu tournaments from a very young age. He has good reactive zones, great judo trips, flows well from position to position when he's on top. He's good at passing guard. He doesn't have a lot of submissions on his resume, only two, one of them being in the UFC. But he clearly has a variety of them in his arsenal from the way he uses is them to sweep and set things up. Um, takedowns, I already said he has good reactive takedowns and judo trips. He's not as much for the double leg, but he does is good at a snatch single, uh, grabbing it and changing angles to sit the opponent down. This is an interesting one because Valiev is a Russian wrestler. I mean, he's he's a good striker too, but his base is wrestling in Sambo, whereas Barcelos, his base is wrestling, but not in the Russian style, um, and, and more mixed with jujitsu. Uh, Hyonis. I got a question more, about Valiev yeah. real quick. Um, yeah. Uh, his fight with uh, Trevin Jones was uh, turned into a no contest by NSAC. What was the yeah. ori- what was the original? Okay, so that yeah, so that one that was uh, Valiev's debut, and he started off really well. He almost finished Trevin Jones. Trevin Jones is good, um, but then Trevin came back, uh, got out of the 
the powerful and consistent ground and pound value was putting on where he almost wasn't defending himself and knocked him out clean. It, 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 it was one of the best comebacks of the year. Um, but Trevor Jones smoked weed, so it was rescinded. But, you know, you, you, we still count that. Like, right, right. That's, it's, why, it's just that's why I felt we should mention that, that it, was, it wasn't a roid thing. It was a weed thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so Timur Valiev, he's a solid Russian wrestler with good striking to boot. People were very high on him, though it's come back down to a bit, come back down to earth a bit after that loss. But he still has potential. His main thing is he's very fast and extremely explosive, and he needs to be able to use that explosion and land consistently consistently to be effective. The distance created by Hione could make that tough for him, unless he is able to break it down with his volume. Um, he fights... Okay, so he his last two fights were both under Mark Henry and Ricardo Almeida, um, which is a decent gym, though it hasn't worked for everybody, but, you know, Frankie Edgar, Eddie Alvarez. But... Uh, right now on Topology, it says that Timur Valiev fights out of uh, Jackson Wink. Yeah, I so, got him. I got him at uh, Dag Fighter Jackson Wink now. Yeah, Dag Fighter. So that's that's uh, I assume his Russian gym. Right. Jackson Wink. I, I so I don't. I didn't see any news or anything <laughs> that he switched to Jackson Wink, but um, we'll assume that that's true. Um, in his striking, he's very active in a long rhythm, bouncing around a lot. And as he bounces, he likes to start low, throw low kicks to start off. That that in and out rhythm can come with feints to keep the opponent guessing. But to but they're kind of, he's kind of like he only does the feints when he's thinking about it. In his when he's in his flow, he's not really feinting. Um, and he, when he does faint, he doesn't really build off them. It's just kind of to keep the opponent guessing to start the bout. His striking is much more straightforward than Hayoni. Um. After his initial low kicking, he starts to throw a lot of volume from different directions. High kicks that get up there fast, spinning kicks, stepping elbows, flying knees, all kinds of wild stuff, as well as the usual, the usual strikes. Um, it's very hard to time his strikes because he throws so many different things in many different ways, but all of them have intensity and suddenness to them, if not like fight-ending power like Hayoni has. Um, his hands are yet to catch up to his kicks, it seems. Just his kicks are are much better than his punches. When he throws spinning stuff, meaning that spinning heel kick, he's vulnerable to body lock takedowns, which is something that Hayoni caught Saeed Nurmagomedov with in his uh, biggest name fight to date. Um, with which Saeed spins a lot. Um, because of him entering the pocket, Timur, he's very vulnerable to the check kick if you can time that rhythm and catch him coming in. And that's how Trevin Jones knocked him out. In his debut, he changes angles when fighting at close range to land elbows on the side of the head. He works the body well in in the pocket as well. He shows a, a decent understanding of striking by taking advantage of what is available from open versus close stance matchups, as well as uh, use of angles to a certain degree. But it's nowhere near what Hione's level is in terms of understanding of it, the minute details of striking. Yeah, it could be um, interesting. It depends how long he's been at Jackson Wink because uh, those guys can really tune up a, uh, a raw striker. You know what I mean? But yeah, if he's only been there for a 12-week camp, that's not enough. To, I mean, that'll help, but that's not if he's been there a minute. Yeah, I, I don't think so. So his last fight against Martin Day, which that was one they gifted to him. They oh, said, yeah, that okay, was in you're February. Gonna, you're going to beat yeah. this guy. Yeah, so that fight, he was with uh, Almeida. Ricardo Almeida was in his corner, so he wasn't at Jackson Wink yet. So, and that, that yeah, that was February, so it's only been four months. Um. And I don't know how long of that time he's been at Jackson Wink. 
It'd be interesting um, but, though because he's he's a uh, like you said he's a he's a creative striker, and I think with with some solid striking coaching, his game could improve quite a yeah. bit. He has a like he has a decent understanding of striking. He has a lot of he's good at throwing a lot of volume, being explosive. But if he can understand how to set up all the stuff he throws better, use feints to do that, especially you build off the jab, um, use his rhythm more effectively, he could be a very high level. So, and I do see why he's such a highly touted prospect. And I haven't even gotten to his wrestling yet, though. I mean, it's pretty simple. He's a good Russian wrestler. I mean, he's a uh, uh, he's Dagestani. Yeah, um, yeah he's from that, I mean, that says it all. But that says yeah, it he all. has <laughs> he, he has strong takedowns. Double and single legs. He was able to control a 145-er in Mar- uh, in Martin Day in his last fight. Even if Martin Day is a lower level fighter, he was much bigger than Valiev. Um, Valiev has heavy, heavy top pressure. Utilizes underhooks and wrist control well. Um, and he's his perhaps his best uh, attribute on top is he's able to lay in ground and pound without losing his position well. And he he just stays heavy on that top pressure no matter what he's doing. But he hasn't fought anyone with BJJ. Uh, like Kyony Barcelos, who's been doing it for 30 years and is a black belt. Uh, I think he's a fourth degree. Is, and he's either a third or fourth degree black belt. I forget. But yeah, so I wanted to bet on Hyoni because I love Hyoni. And the odds started dropping. They opened at minus 230, went down to minus 205. And I was like, oh, if they get under minus 200, I think there's value here. But they didn't. They, they teased me at minus 205 and now I've hopped back up to like minus 220. Yeah, I got them um, I got them on five dimes at 210 right now, which is the lowest. Yeah. So I, I don't think there's quite value there. If it drops below minus 200, I might tweet this one out as a play. Um, but as of now, it's not. Even though I think Kyle is the better fighter, Valiev is also a good fighter. So um, I don't want to take over minus 200. Um, and that's that. It's just, it. Hey, this one could be fight of the night for sure. I mean, Hyoni's uh, last one was fight of the night against Khalid Taha. So definitely the, yeah, one the, to look out for. I agree with you. Um, I, I lean Hyoni, but um, it's the odds aren't there to make the bet. But this is, is probably one of my favorite fights of the night. And I think uh, whoever wins this fight, you'll see um, possible star emergence. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's going to be a good fight. Everyone should be focused yeah. on this one. I mean, Hyoni, I think he already deserves a top 15 fight. I think he already deserves a ranking. He's 5-0 in the UFC, three finishes, beat Saeed Nurmagomedov, who is a highly rated prospect. He was booked to fight Asun Sao, I think, last year, but it got canceled because of COVID. Um, and, and that sucks because uh, then Cody Garbrandt knocked Asun Sao out and got highly ranked because of it. If Hyoni had had that. That would have been amazing for his career. But I think definitely after this fight, he, he, he they can't keep him out of the top 15 if he wins. Yeah, um, this will be one to watch. So on to the co-main event of the evening, which is underwhelming. Um, we have uh, Ovin St. Prue versus Tanner Bozer. Um, Tanner Bozer, he, we just saw him fight like, was it two weeks ago? No, like four weeks ago. Yeah. Right before on the... um. Shoot what card on, on the Sakai versus uh Rosenstrike card. Uh he he fought Ilya Latifi, he was able to hold him down with this wrestling, although he did do more damage than Latifi on the feet, but Latifi won based on control in rounds one and three. Right, I think it was. And that was my dog pick, Latifi. Yes, it was. <laughs> um but Ilya Latifi is so 
uh, just like Latifi, OSP is uh, a light heavyweight moving up to heavyweight. And at this point in his career, so far removed from his one title shot, which was questionable that he uh, even got it. Probably the worst uh, title shot opponent Jones ever had. He's bad, per se. He's very athletic, and he has a lot of highlights. But he's never gotten the techniques of higher-level guys in guys that are like ranked near where he is. And at this point in his career, motivation and effort are, are super questionable. He, he's looked just awful recently in his last fight against uh, Jamal Hill. Yeah. He really looked like he didn't want to be, uh, be there. He's always been inconsistent, like win-loss, win-loss, but he's a low-volume striker who gets consistently outstruck by average or slightly above-average strikers, and his career is mainly held up by his high points, mainly the frequency which with which he pulls off one of the rarest submissions of all, uh, the Von Flew choke, which is a choke of opportunity, and some flashy KOs, like a head kick KO, I believe it was, of, shoot, who was it? In his last win. Uh, let me but see. Also, that was uh, Menefield. Yeah, no, that he was... hasn't won. That was Menefield. He had. Oh, no, no, was kind of. Never mind. He he. Suffice to say, he has a lot of. Uh, Corey Anderson was the head kick. KO. Yeah, Corey he Anderson had... was the head kick. I remember that. Fight, yeah, yeah. So he has he has these highlight high moments, but then he loses loses one in a row, two in a row, um, and but then bounces back with a finish and. He's held up by those finishes because he hasn't had a decision win since 2016, which that's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you look at his career stats, he lands 2.68 significant strikes per minute, uh, and he has 3.03 landed against him. Like I said, he gets outlanded. His strike accuracy is decent at 46%. His striking defense is atrocious at 45%. It, he cannot stay with a good striker and beat them on points. He has to come with something to get a knockout, um, usually using his athleticism, because he is very athletic, though perhaps less so lately. uh, And I'd like to say something about that, because his background is he was a a linebacker at Tennessee. He was a volunteer. And uh, so he's very explosive, and he's very athletic, but he's not really trained in any kind of uh, combat sports. You know what I mean? He He's yeah. just a good fighter. And I think every time he's, he's come up against, you know, every time he tries to uh, reach that next level, he gets knocked down. Jamal Hill, Ben Rothwell, um, Dominic Reyes. Uh, he fought Latifi when Latifi was at 205. Yeah. You know, um, uh, Jimmy Manawa. John Jones, you know, Glover yeah, Tashir, Ryan Bader, right. Degard in right. Strike every Force. Time, every, time, every time he comes up against that, that wall of the next level of competition, he doesn't make it. Yeah, and it's it's getting worse lately. Like the the losses to Glover, John Jones, Vulcan Ozdemir, Jimmy Manoa, Glover, those those are excusable, but then he's getting to a point now where I mean he lost to Krylov, who's not a great striker. Uh, great on the ground, but Ovid St. Bruce supposed to be good on the ground. Uh, at least he, they, they want you to think he is because he has so many submissions by Von Flew. Um, but then losing to Ben Rothwell in his last heavyweight fight, that's that's not great for a top 15 light heavyweight. Ben Rothwell is not a huge heavyweight. That should have been a winnable no, fight for him. Yeah, Ben Ben is a small heavyweight. Yeah, um, and like you said, he doesn't have like you know a long history of training in the martial arts. 
and but he's had all these years to improve his technique. All um since being in Strike Force in 2010, he's had over a decade to improve his technique, and it has it, it's come a little bit, but it, it he's never gonna be. I mean, it's too late now to be uh, really technical. Yeah, he's what, 38. Right, he's 38. And it's done. He still, is what he is. He still relies on his athleticism almost entirely. Um, he has like he has decent ground skills, but he's not great at pulling off takedowns. I mean, he he's not really able to drag bigger guys to the ground. He's he's five of nineteen on takedowns. Going back to his last like truly high level opponent, Dominic Reyes, that was three years and six fights ago. Um, he he didn't even try to take Jamal Hill down, be, even when J- it was clear that Jamal Hill was just gonna keep beating the crap at him out of him, and uh, OSP had no chance versus him. He he's a below average striker moving up a weight division to fight a pretty a relatively technical heavyweight. He just cannot outdo Bozer in volume or technique on the feet, and that athleticism is gonna run out at some point, and it's starting to like we saw against Jamal Hill. I just think. He's kind of phoning it in, fighting for a paycheck. I think he'd be better suited at this point in Bellator, honestly, uh, where the old guys go. <laughs> yeah, or he may he might make a good run at PFL too. Maybe, yeah. Um, but he like he missed weight in his last fight. Um, he clearly just wants to be at heavyweight so he doesn't have to cut weight. I I really think he's doing this for a paycheck at this point, and that's fa- fine. Like you, you, everyone needs to make a living, of course, and as a fighter. You often don't make enough when you're younger, so he has to keep. You have to keep fighting, but to win fights consistently uh, against good fighters, you have to have that extra drive, that extra heart. And I don't think OSP has that anymore. Uh, I don't. He's not like he's right. not going to get a title or anything. He's just going to fight, you know, mid range heavyweights it, now that he's at heavyweight. It almost, and I don't want to insult him too much, but it almost reminds me of Askren taking the fight against uh, Jake Paul. It, you know what I mean? It, it's a paycheck. You know yeah, what I mean? It's not I, that level of paycheck, but yeah, he's just out here for a paycheck. Right, he's just out there for the money. And I think, I think Bozer's got something to prove on this fight. And I think he <laughs> definitely does. Yeah. Um, but and just the thing about OSP, he's kind of like Tony Ferguson, except for Tony Ferguson was way better. <laughs> but he's very athletic, but he doesn't have that technique to fall back on. And Tony at least has a little bit of technique to fall back on, like like his elbows. Yeah. Um. He has an okay jab. He has wrestling background, a good rubber guard. OSP really has no consistent techniques to fall back on. But anyway, the Tanner Bozer, he's not a super explosive guy or a knockout artist, despite uh, uh, getting noticed in the UFC with two impressive knockouts against uh, what was it Philippe Linz and Rafael Pessoa. Yeah. Uh, both both knockouts with his hands. Um, that was after a decision loss to Cyril Gan. Who, which no shame in that at all. Uh, Cyril Gan's fighting in our main event in this in this uh, fight. In the, sorry, in this card. Um, but then he went on to lose two straight to Arlovsky, which it's Arlovsky. He he puts a spell on younger dudes and makes them fight his fight and beats them at it a lot. And then the split decision loss to Latifi a couple weeks ago. So he's he's mad about that loss. He's very yeah, mad. Yeah, he is. He I is mean, mad. Yeah, yeah. He, That's why he's fighting now already. You exactly. know what I mean? So quick. <laughs> He was so disgusted at the decision. He asked for a quick turnaround. This is the last fight on his contract, so he needs this win. He's three and three in the UFC. He needs this win to stay in the UFC to keep pursuing his dream. Um, but 
even though he's not like a super explosive knockout guy, he is a technical strikeout striker with a karate background and he has great cardio for a heavyweight. He has good footwork and uh, a solid jab that he's able to build off of. He loves his leg kicks. And if, if he had good wrestling defense, it would be hard. He could be ranked, but he doesn't. I mean, if he gets taken down, especially he doesn't have the jujitsu to get back up his defense. His takedown defense is okay. Um, Actually, I'm going to want to pull up the stats on that. Yeah. All right, while you're Where pulling up the there? stats, I want to mention that uh, he, he's only 29, which is probably prime age for a UFC fighter, and he fights at around 240 pounds, which means he doesn't have to cut anything. He's got, you know what I mean? He can be a couple pounds over his, his normal weight or whatever. He's going to come in at his, how he feels most healthy, which... That's one of the advantages of the heavyweight division is if you're a guy that's in that 250 range, you know, you don't have to worry about the weight cut at all. You can just concentrate on technique and come in there. A lot of the guys, yeah. uh, in, in the other, you know, if you get down to the lower weight classes where there, where there's only, you know, 10 pounds, you know, you, you spend the yeah. last, you spend the last eight to 10 days cutting weight. These, exactly. He doesn't, he doesn't have to worry about that. Yeah. Um, so with Tanner Boser, his takedown defense in the UFC is sixty percent. Though that's uh, that's over six fights, and not many takedowns have been shot on him. Uh, I think he's two out of uh, yeah, uh, two out of five. He's gotten takedown twice, took taken down twice on five attempts. So it's not a great sample size. But his striking is um, he lands four point two one strikes per minute. That's not quite double, but um, almost two strikes per minute more than uh, what OSP lands. His accuracy is 52%. He absorbs almost a full strike less than OSP, 2.26. And his striking defense is 63%. Uh, I don't want to go off of all stats, but those are impressive numbers for a heavyweight. 52% accuracy, especially. Yeah, that, yeah that's very good. Yeah. Um, and, and it shows in his technical volume striking and the cardio, meaning he won't flare, uh, fall off as the rounds go on. So if OSP was a better wrestler as an underdog here, I would like him, but he's not. He's not a great wrestler. Uh, he he snatches up submissions as an opportunity, um, but Buzzer hopefully knows not to pull that, not to try to get the guillotine if uh, OSP tries to take him down. Uh, I think Bozer has what it takes here, being the 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 heavier guy. Uh, the guy with more cardio, the guy with more to lose, and just the all-around better striker. I think he definitely has what it takes here to win. So I'm putting money on Bozer in this one. Um, well, actually, I should go over the lines with you guys before saying that outright. But the line... Um, five dimes oh, has got him at 170. Yeah, and that's where it is. Most places, the best line you're going to get, though, is that sports bet where he's minus 167. Um, if you have Betway, he's minus 163, actually. I don't yeah, have that, bet. so I'm placing the yeah. bet at minus 167. Um, and I'm putting a unit on Tanner Bozer here. There's also a couple of interesting ways to play this. Um, you could play the over 2.5. It's like minus 140. Or goes the distance, minus 125. But if OSP wins, it's going to be a finish. If Bozer wins, it's probably going to be a decision. Um so there's also the possibility of playing Bozer by decision at plus 185, if, if you like, uh, for plus money. But I'm just, those are just leans. I'm going straight up Bozer money line minus 167 for one unit. And uh, before we move on, just to illustrate, 
Um, the last time Bozer fought, I bet against him, and I also put money on him on this fight. It's not, you know, it, it's the matchup of who's facing who. And Tanner and Bozer is definitely the better fighter here. I think um, he's not he's not like a, an incredible physical specimen, but he is a very healthy heavyweight. You know what I mean? He doesn't yeah. have ripped abs or anything, but he also doesn't have a gut hanging over his his yeah. waistband and shit. And OSP, I believe he was overvalued as a light heavyweight, and I think he will be out of his depth in heavyweight. I mean, so the levels between OSP and Latifi aren't huge, but it's a stylistic matchup with Latifi as a strong wrestler and who has something to prove. Latifi's heart is still in this sport, I believe. It definitely seems like it. He wants to win. OSP hasn't shown me that he wants to win, and he hasn't shown me he can consistently take someone down, especially right. not lately. Latifi's so that's why the, I leaned Latifi in that last one, and that's why I'm betting on uh, Bozer in this one. Latifi is another one of those guys. Um, I liked him in that fight for the same reason I like Tim Means in this fight. You know what I mean? He's just a, he's a fighter. You know what I yep. mean? He's a fighter. And and as they always say, styles make fights. And um, style of this fight, I think, is Bozer tuning up OSP on the feet for three rounds. All right. On to the main event. Ding, ding, Wait. ding. <laughs> so this is the only, the one and only good main event, non-title fight main event at heavyweight. Uh, Cyril Gaon versus alexander volkov as i said before the matchup of the actually technical heavyweight kickboxers sirogan has great footwork and speed and a surprisingly solid ground game he's inexperienced but fights like he has much more experience than he does um very mature game and, and like that ground game it's just surprising how good he is with submissions and like he he has a leg lock on it ankle lock on his record in the second ufc fight and, and he's a former he's a former Muay Thai fighter, Thai boxer. Like he shouldn't have, and I have no idea how he has the level of jujitsu he does. But he's undefeated as a professional in both MMA and Muay Thai. Eight and zero in MMA, seven and zero in Muay Thai. He has a small reach advantage here, eighty three versus eighty one inches. Even though Volkov is uh, listed as three inches taller, I think it's more like one or two inches. Gone is I don't, I don't gone is listed as six four. I don't I think he's six five or six six. Yeah, said said as six seven. Um, but anyway, uh, Gon came into the UFC after three fights, being the TKO heavyweight champ and defending it twice. I mean, he won the heavyweight title in his first professional MMA bout after some amateur bouts, and then yeah, defended it twice. Got called up to the UFC. His first UFC fight, he arm triangled a jujitsu fighter. <laughs> it, it he he has such an anomalous. Uh, career, it's it's bizarre, and I can talk about that more when I talk about his Muay Thai record. Um, but yeah, arm triangle choke against Rafael Pessoa, who who was undefeated at the time in in his UFC debut, his fourth professional fight. It's bizarre. So, um, Gan has a, had an interesting Muay Thai career that I want to talk about. And then, actually, shout out to UFC is not rigged on the Sherdog forums for uh, bringing this to my attention. So, if we look at Gan's kickboxing career. He started training Muay Thai in 2015. Two years later, he was 2-0, and he knocks out Bruce Guidon, Brice Guidon under kickboxing rules. Guidon was a 6-6 glory veteran with a re win over the legend Rico Verhoeven. A 2-0 Muay Thai fighter who had been training for two years had never fought under kickboxing rules, only under Muay Thai rules, 
had no business being in the ring with Guidon, let alone knocking the guy out. Later that year, he was 5-0, and and he defeated Yassin Bougan... Let me, let me try to pronounce this right. Yassin Bughanem under Muay Thai rules, who was, for a while, from 2018 to 2020, the number one ranked super heavyweight Muay Thai fighter in the whole world. Bughanem has won 13 of his last 14 fights. The only loss in that span was the Gan. The guy had 136 wins and 89 KOs. Most of his recent wins have been over guys who were in UFC, Bellator, or Glory. So, you know, not scrubs. Um, so, Gan should not have stood a chance on paper with this guy, but he, he, he still beat him, uh, despite the disparity in experience. And that's the thing that people talk about a lot with Gan, is the disparity in experience between him and all of his opponents. But he clearly is a natural talent. Like, he's almost a prodigy, you could say. He's been training in Muay Thai for six years and MMA for three or four years. And he's already at this level, beating guys like Jairzinho Rosenstrike, Junior Santos, um, Guidon in Muay Thai. It's, it's insane. So you can't necessarily pl- apply this, the logic of, oh, he has less experience. This is a step too big for him to win, he's going to lose. Because people have been saying that since he fought JDS, when he fought Rosenstrike, and he proves him wrong every time. And they were probably saying that when he was fighting in Muay Thai on a smaller scale. Um, he's great at using his 83-inch reach, but despite what I said about you can't necessarily say that his experience is going to make him lose, he still hasn't been tested like this before in MMA. He's fought no one who can really close range against him and make him uncomfortable has always been able to fight the way he wants to fight. He bounces on the balls of his feet like like Rose. Um, and despite the fact that he's a massive human, he is not gassed out in the UFC, even fighting five rounds against Rosenstrike. But, but in that fight, admittedly, he wasn't forced to fight at a pace that could have gassed him because Rosenstrike just stood there and waited to counter the whole time. Um, and Ghana could just touch him up from distance. It was a really mature effort, but not one that was physically impressive and showed that he can go five rounds at a hard pace. Um, but he's, his footwork is, uh, I, I think I said this before already, but his footwork is his, his best attribute. He's really good at using footwork and speed to change angles. He always moves laterally, circling his opponent, which will be tough for Volkov to deal with, who's a more straightforward guy. Um, Gan switches stances naturally. He has great step-in knees. He doesn't have the power in his hands necessarily. Uh, but his broadie kicks are brutal. If you heard his kicks versus Dante Mays, you know what I'm talking about. And his leg kicks are too. Oh yeah, dude, those <laughs> you could hear those. You said it yeah, right. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. Um. He also he he uses elbows well when he closes range. He, that's how he, even though he has an 83 inch reach, he's able to fight in close with those elbows. That's how we knocked out Junior Santos. Um, and he has a 69% striking defense, which is really high for a heavyweight, as well as a 55% accuracy on offense, uh, which is good for third best in heavyweight history above a certain threshold. Although Volkov himself is first at 59% per Numbers MMA on Twitter. Um, shout so out to I, Numbers I, MMA. Best, shout stat, out. best stats in the sport. So, like I said, I don't know how he developed his ground skills so quickly, but he is proficient in his... He has an arm triangle and an ankle lock on his resume in the UFC. He had a front choke in his uh, uh, MMA pro debut um, as a 0-0 prospect fighting for the TKO heavyweight championship. He has strong takedowns, and his size and strength make him very difficult to sweep 
and make it easier for him to impose his will on guys. I mean, there's a lot of big heavyweights, but Cyril Gaon is like Nganu. He's Nganu-esque in his physicality. He's not as powerful, but he is ripped. Um, and yeah, he is he, fast. He, he's a physical specimen for sure. Yeah. I, it, 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 no homo, but look, if you look at the guy, <laughs> he, he, he has all the muscles that you want. Let's just say that. Um, Alexander Volkov, though, is it's in some ways this is the perfect opponent for him. Stylistically, this is the perfect opponent to test him because they're similar in a lot of ways, although they're different in the ways that they're similar. Uh, I'll explain that in a second. Because Volkov is also a strong kickboxer with a decent ground game. I guess, like I said, he has a massive experience advantage. He has 41 pro fights to Gon's eight. Um, he's a bit more like a true heavyweight than Gon. He's flatter on his feet, a little bit slower in his footwork and kind of lumbering, though not as much as other heavyweights, um, because he is re- skinny relative to heavyweight MMA. Yeah, he's six seven, so he he comes in at basically near the maximum weight, but it's not. Yeah, you it's know, not right. fatty mass. Um, but Volkov does have a great understanding of range and distance. He fights his own height, like he's tall. Um, he has recently added some mass. He's, he used to be quite skinny. He's not as skinny as he was, but the adding of mass seems to be good for him. He seems more powerful now. Um, he likes to attack down the middle. Straight punches, knees up the middle, teeth kicks to the stomach, um, which knocked out Walt Harris. But Gon is not carrying a belly like Walt Harris, and he has the added threat of being potentially able to catch that kick and take Volkov down off of it. He has more power than Gon in his hands, but not a massive power striker either. Uh, he has more decisions in the UFC than he has knockouts, though he has a few knockouts either, two in a row right now. Um, one flaw that favors Gon, and this is how they're different, is he's a more stationary fighter, whereas Gon makes use of angles and footwork. Volkov does pressure his opponents, but not hard, aggressive pressure. He just walks the for- walks forward, likes to be on the front foot, um, and it's he doesn't vary that pressure. It's just him moving forward, trying to get you, coming right down the middle at you. Whereas Gon is nuanced in that he'll go around the outside. He'll, he'll make use lateral movement to get at you around the edges. Um, in grappling, Volk has Volkanov. No, <laughs> Volkov. Oh. <laughs> uh, we everyone calls him Volk, and they call Volkanovsky Volk. So, yeah, brain fart. Um, but yeah, he has a decent ground game overall. Good takedown defense, which statistically it doesn't look as good as it should because of the short notice blades fight last year, um, where in, in that fight blades was just able to take him down over and over again. Um, not, not the performance Volkov wanted, but he he didn't have uh, any wrestling training partners that he could work with. He didn't have a traditional camp because it was short notice, right at the beginning of COVID, and and, and you you want that, that advantage to uh, that to be on the same level to fight Blades, who's the best wrestler in, yeah. in heavyweight <clears throat> MMA. He had fought uh, two months previous to that fight and had a win yeah. against Greg Hardy. You know that was a yeah. That was a short notice fight, and like you said, it, it it was in the new time of COVID. There wasn't training partners available. I'm not making yeah, excuses. He wasn't I'm just that. pointing uh, out I the am. facts. I, I am because I, I I mean he obviously got taken down a lot in that fight, but 
it may just that it just makes his takedown defense st- stat, which is like sixty eight percent, I think, look worse than it is. I mean, he he has high level takedown defense. Um, and Gon is good. He has decent takedowns, but he's not the wrestler that Curtis Blades is. Um, but Volkov, he's decently able to work on top with ground and pound. That's his preferred method if he's going to be on the ground. And he has the ability to work off his back, though not like at a high level BJJ or anything. But he would definitely prefer to kickbox. So let's examine the odds on this one. Um, because that's what you do on a betting show. So, whoa. Is this current because uh, well, that's I'm, odd. I'm looking at one sec let me refresh this page so okay this is bizarre we have i was so earlier i had said uh, i was gonna put volkov for half the unit but the lines have changed drastically what what uh, what do you have max i got him on DraftKings at plus 145 yeah so th- there's that and then it ver- so you can get him at plus 145 on DraftKings, plus 145 in Univet. Or then you can get Cyril You can get Cyril gone at minus 143 on Bet Online. Like, that's literally free money. You bet either side. If you bet enough, you could make, I mean, if you bet $10 on each side, you'd make like a cent. But if you have, if you're rich, bet like a million dollars on each side, you could make like $10,000. That's really unusual. You see that wider disparity, especially in a main event. You might see it on early prelims where not all books agree on the lines, but this is a big fight. This is a heavyweight fight between top five heavyweights. I I bet online definitely didn't have those odds before. They were more in line with everyone else at minus 170. But other books have also moved, like my bookie, um, bookmaker, they were at like minus 170 earlier too. And now they're at minus 145, minus 155. Yeah, Five Dimes has uh, gone down to minus 150. I'm thinking um, I, I lean with you towards Volkov here, especially at like the 145, and it, it's it's moving in a trajectory where if you wait till tomorrow, you might be able to get 147, 150. Well, that's what it looks like. So this like. is this is I I was think, I, so I had seen Volkov earlier at plus 155 and plus 160. I was gonna put a half a unit on that, but. I want to. I'm gonna have to go back to the drawing board and re reexamine this because I feel like Gone might be bettable at minus one forty three almost. I mean that that well, not that's like what I would value him at. But this is this is just kind of shocking me because this was not the odds earlier. I finished typing up my notes and looking at everything. Yeah, draft. Uh, but draft I, Kings, so I, draft I, Kings I, has Volkov just moving up right now. If he hits the one fifty range, I, uh, I'm gonna pull the trigger on a half unit. I, I I would agree with you there because my original was plus one fifty five and so I may still tweet I may still put that out depending on how the lines move I may still put it out at plus one forty five if it doesn't go up but this drastic change in odds from what they were earlier on some books and not other books has me really confused and curious and just interested overall so I'm just gonna have to look at this and see how they continue to move. Um, and I'll maybe tweet out a play, but I, I, I'm not going to put out an official play on this right now, though I do lean Volkov at the plus 145 odds. And, and disclaimer for our new listeners, anyone that's listened before probably knows, um, I have opinions, but the the official bets of the shows are Val's, not the ones that I say. Mine are just opinions. Yeah. So, okay. Um, but 
Okay, this is just throwing me off. <laughs> Sorry, but so so walking the dog, my walking the dog, even if it's not an official bet as of now, it's still going to be Volkov because I I capped this line around for gone like minus one forty, um maybe one thirty. So I have gone as a slight favorite, but it, it's pretty close to to fifty fifty, maybe like fifty five forty five. Um, so that would put Volkov as having value and. That's why I lean Volkov. Sorry, I'm still I'm still thrown off. This, this surprised me. I know it is surprising. Um, my walking the dog, uh, and you know, I picked a I picked another dog on this card for my parlay, which we'll discuss in a second. But Volkov is also going to be my walking the dog. I think he has the biggest chance. I picked the other dog in my parlay just because I thought he has a good chance and yeah. I thought it would deliver nice odds, which when you looked them up, it does. We'll talk about that in a second, but we agree yeah. on our walk on the dog, bet. it's Alexander Volkov. Yes. And so I do, I have a lean for another one, which is Dalby. And I was also going to have a play on Dalby when he was plus 140, 145, but those odds are gone. He's like plus 115 everywhere. As we discussed earlier, plus 124 at most. Um, but yeah, so he he's like my one. My one A is Volkov for walking the dog. One B is Dalby, because that's a fifty fifty fight as we discussed. As yeah. we discussed. All right. Um. Well, let's wrap this up with the you know, don't the best be part a pushy parlay. Yeah. You you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. My don't be a pussy parlay is going to be Tanner Bozer, Andre Feely, Bars. Barcelos. Barcelos. Barcelos, actually. It's hard to pronounce. My man, Tim Means. Dirty bird. And, or Tim Means Business. He has both of them. And a fight we did not discuss because it's the opening fight on the card. Yancey Medeiros. This fight, I just want to say that uh, he's coming off, I think, three losses. But Demir is coming off two losses. I think Medeiros still has some gas in the tank. And he's coming in at like a plus 120 or whatever versus minus 150. I think this is a good bet. And I wanted to throw that one in there because it's a parlay. You know, you got to hit all five. And I think this one shot up the odds pretty good on my overall. Val will tell yes. us the numbers. Yeah. So soft odds on that five leg parlay are plus. Eleven hundred and thirty-one bet ten dollars to win one hundred and thirty-one dollars. No, one hundred and thirteen dollars and ten cents. That's it. Um, yeah. That, I, so the Yancey one is interesting. We didn't talk about it, but that that could be a banger. Yancey is in has had a ton of fun fights throughout his career and always finds himself in wars and has to fit his game to to fight in those wars, even though he doesn't have as many. Yeah, I um, think I think it'll be a fun fight either way. And I think, uh, like I said, the. Yancey's coming off three losses. Demir's coming off two, and I th- I think the money's right there. So we'll see. It- it'll be a nice parlay win if I hit it. So I'm making a last minute change to to my don't be a pussy parlay, and I'm actually doing a six leg one this week, which we traditionally do five legs. But I wanted to have that extra one. Um, mine is gonna be shoot. I lost it. Okay, mine is gonna be. Uh, Shavkat Rachmanov, Tanner Bozer, Hayoni Barcelos, Julia Avila, Warley Al- Alves, and the over in the main event. That's over 4.5. Oh, that's a nice ad. Gone. Yeah, that's yeah, a nice so, ad. Um, 
But let me let me just plug that in real quick and see what I get. So that is uh plus plus uh nine thirty six plus nine hundred and thirty six odds ten dollars to win ninety three dollars and sixty four cents. That's my, don't be a pussy parlay. And uh, you said earlier for any new listeners about something else. So I just want to say again, these are not actual plays that we're you know recommending. We may or may not play them, but this is just a thing for fun at the end of the show. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. These these are not calls. We're not saying uh, put your money on this. It, it it's the fun part at the end of the show yes. where we just go for it. Yeah, I have to say we have to say this every few episodes. I feel like because I don't want anyone to think, oh, they didn't recap it. They're not transparent. I, I'm, I'll always put high importance on being transparent, which you can see on my Twitter and at the beginning of each episode. Um, yeah, but yeah. Speaking the- of Twitter, follow us at Sig Strike Pod on Twitter. Uh, we're part of the Spofi Network. Follow at Spofi S P O F I H Q, um, and there'll be a link to Numbers MMA. In, in the show notes and a link to the downward elbow video on Hyoni Barcelos, though you can also just look up downward elbow and check out his YouTube channel. It's amazing. Yeah, and if you're interested in other sports and you want to hear some great handicapping, that's why we're part of the Spofi network. They got uh, great golf information, great hockey information, great major league baseball information. You can check them out. Um, they're on YouTube. Well, I guess we're on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> Twitter. We have a Discord server, Spofi HQ. You can drop in and uh, yeah, uh, check the uh, Spofi Twitter. The Discord is in their link. Uh, yeah, and we're all around. If if uh, sometime you know, if you drop into the Discord, you might be able to tell me I'm full of shit or Val's full of shit or whatever. We're uh, we're all in there or, hanging out. <laughs> or just talk fights with us and uh, play UFC Pick'em. We we always do the ESPN pick up each week. It's a con- nice little contest. Yeah, just join the Discord us. and be part of it, and then you'll have bragging rights if you know better than us. Whew. All right, so I, I knew this was going to be a long episode because there's a lot of fights I want to talk about, a lot of fun fights, even though we only have two official bets. I'll just recap them real quick right now. We have Shavkat Rachmanov, minus 3.5 spread at minus 150 for one unit, and Tanner Bozer, money line at minus 167 for one unit. Also, actually, Tanner Bozer, I forgot to mention, there are better odds out there on books that I don't have, I believe. Um, where's Bovada? Yeah, so... Where the hell is Bovada? Let's see, I got Bovada up here, let me see. Oh, it's gone. Okay, never mind. The odds you could get earlier, you could get like minus one sixty on Bovada, but it's back to it's at minus one seventy, like almost everywhere else. So never mind. Yep. So Tanner Boser and Shavhat Rachmanov, uh, oh. minus three point five. Those are official plays. We have outro music now. I'm Soft Weekly. That's Val the Master, our expert.